Let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We finished the second chapter in our last lesson. This is a very interesting one. We'll pick up in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 1. And Paul said to Timothy, This know also, in other words, he's continuing what he's already taught. This know also, in addition to what we've taught, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Then he goes on, on to describe, beginning with verse 2, and on down somewhat, perilous times. But notice he says that in the last days, perilous times shall come. There have been various attempts to explain what the last days are. Some have said that it's the last days of the Jewish uh, economy, so to speak, and which would end shortly, and Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 A.D. and so on. But I believe it refers more to a lengthy and future period of time. Uh, we do know that since the days of Jesus, the Bible says, speaks of the last days. In fact, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time passed unto the fathers by the prophets. Now notice it says, hath in these last days. So since the days of the apostles, the messianic period of his appearance, the days of Jesus and the days of the apostles and the days of the writings of the epistles. And Paul says here, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So since the day that Christ came on the scene and through his teachings, they're classified here as last days. And we know the very last days are upon us. So we might say all the New Testament would have reference to last days. But Paul here in the text we're talking about in Second Timothy 3 verse 1, he says, This know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come, so he's speaking of the future time, not only the time in which he lived, but in future times from whence he lived, as things became worse and worse. He's going to speak about that things becoming worse and worse, and men becoming worse and worse. And down in verse 13, it says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So when he talks about perilous times, he's talking about troublous times, rough times, uh, terrible times will come. When we get into the fourth chapter, he will talk about, he says in verse 3, he says, For the time will come when there will not endure sound doctrine. So even in Paul's day, things were beginning worse. And through the days and years since then, things have become worse. Instead of evolving to the better, men have evolved to the worse. He speaks of the fact that they're going to get worse all the time. But let's notice, he says, perilous times shall come. And then he begins to describe some of the things that will condition men and show the condition of men. In verse 2, he says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incompetent, fierce, despisers, of those that are good, he says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, and he goes on to describe them, but we'll have to stop there in our reading to go back and capitalize on some of these things. So in verse 2, it says, men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know, men are becoming more selfish all the time. When it says men, it, it, the word men has to do with mankind, men and women, boys and girls. It's, it's a term that's used to indicate of mankind, not just uh, men, because we know men will wax worse and worse. Women will wax worse and worse. And even the children are spoken of here, that uh, 
that the children will be uh, disobedient to parents down here. And uh, so we find that all of mankind is spoken of in this word men. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. In fact, the word men here means exactly that. It doesn't mean the male sex. It means men in general, mankind in general. Shall be lovers of their own selves. So the first thing we see about this uh, condition that will exist that Paul is reminding Timothy of is a condition of selfishness. People become more selfish all the time. And then what does he say? He says covetous. That means uh, lovers of money, lovers of material things. Covetous in every sense of the word. And then he says boasters. When we think of boasters, we think of people that brag about themselves so much. They have a great ego. And they want to make sure that they're the center of attention, and they boast about their knowledge, about their standing, about their jobs, about their money, about their finances, about everything, of their possessions, boast about everything. And then it says proud. That's the very opposite of uh, being uh, humble, isn't it? Kind of like uh, I heard one professor one time say that he used this for an illustration. He says, have you read my great book on humility and how I obtained it? kind of a contradiction, isn't it? So proud. And then it says blasphemers. Blasphemers not only of God, but of men. Blasphemers of God and of men. And then it says disobedient to parents. This would be the uh, attitude of children sometimes. Disobedient to parents. And then it says unthankful. Ingratitude is a terrible thing on the part of anyone. You know, I was thinking when the church gave me a card with all the names on this morning, people and a check for their appreciation. My appreciation is for the church. I'm thankful for the church and for supplying our needs and for every blessing that has come through the people. And uh, I would, I have more to be thankful for than I can could even name. And we ought to be thankful. We ought to be thankful. You know, every morning when I get up, I thank God for life and health and strength and for the rest through the night and for another day. And the older we get, the more that each day is to be thankful for, isn't it? I tell you what, it's just good to wake up feeling able to do anything for the Lord. And I trust that what we do, we do as unto the Lord. The Bible teaches that that's the way we should do it. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. So, unthankful and then unholy. We have so many people that are unholy in their lives, living for the world and the flesh and the devil. God's people are to be a holy people. Peter says, be ye holy. God's word says, be ye holy, for I'm also holy. And that doesn't mean that we attain the sinlessness, but it does mean that we can live godly lives. Right on down in verse uh, 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we know that we're to be a holy people unto the Lord. And then it says, without natural affection. We have that whole family. Sometimes children have no affection for parents, and sometimes fathers and mothers have no affection, the natural affection for children. Have you ever heard of so many families that are broken up? Because you find that the parents care not for their children. And we find that children care not for parents in many instances. They're estranged from one another. They don't even know their own... uh, Blood, kin, and line, and family. And a lot of times it's because of these other things, selfishness and indifference and lack of living a godly life. 
And you know, as we lose our families, we lose our, lose our inspiration and our, and our, uh, foundation for our nation as well. Our whole nation is built upon, uh, families, godly families. And when we have ungodly families, so many of them, I don't know, you see this all time in public. You'll see fathers and mothers that could care less about their children. You can see, you can see children. Uh, speaking out evil against their parents. In some of the commercials you see on the televisions, the kids will say, I hate you. I think there's one on drugs where finally one little boy says, thank you to mother and daddy for trying to warn them about their drugs. And we need more of the right kind of teaching in our homes to teach our children in the right way and to live the right way. But we find that there are those that are without natural affection. And then look at this. Truce breakers. Truce breakers. In a contract, they will not keep. You sign a contract. By the way, if your word is no good, your signature is no good either. You know, I've, I've had people I used to contract as a building contractor. And most of the people that I would sign a contract with, and they had signed my proposal for building and whatever work was to be done, were, were real sincere about it, and they intended on abiding by it. And most of them did. But I had one person at one time, I knew when, when she signed the contract that she didn't have any intention of keeping I just had a gut feeling, and it turned out that way. It turned out exactly like that. And so that, that's why I said, uh, when it's talking about truce breakers, if you if your word is no good, you know, we used to, it was a handshake. We agreed to do something and shook hands on it. And then we did the work that way. The pay was for what work was rendered. And that's all there was to it. There was a time when a man's word was his bond. That's all he needed. And nowadays it's different, isn't it? And as I said before, sometimes your the paper... It's not worth the paper it's written on because they don't intend to keep it anyway. And the people with a lot of money can uh, make a contract with someone that's a, a poor person, less off, uh, off, well off financially, and they know that whatever they do they can get by with because they can hire a good lawyer and then they'll beat you out of your money because uh, they know that you can't hire one. And so in that sense, the money is their power. Not their name, not their agreements or anything. And I've experienced that in my lifetime. I don't know how many of you have, but it's truly a, it's a fact that I know something about. And then it says not only truth breakers, but false accusers. The word here, actually, they're devils. It has to do with being devils in accusing. Well, you know, the, the, the Bible says that the devil was a liar in the beginning and a murderer. And then incontinent, that means slaves to uncleanness. Just being given over to uncleanness. Fierce, this is the opposite of anything that's mild and tender and good. Despisers of those that are good. A man that despises good is certainly evil. And then traitors, traitors, and heady, and high-minded. All of these things describe the men of the day that Paul is talking about to Timothy. And he says they'll be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Heady means headstrong. 
They're headstrong in all that they do. They won't uh, give in to any sense of reason. You know, God himself is a God of reason. Remember Isaiah 1.18? God says to men, to mankind, to people that are sinful. He said, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It'd be unreasonable to reject God's offer to think about. Can you imagine God condescending to come down and say, let's reason this out? I want you to know that your sins, though they be as scarlet, they, they can be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Talk about God's condescending grace. You find a picture of it right there. He says, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That means when men, when people would put all their pleasures, their love for pleasures, whether it be sensual or otherwise. There are certain pleasures that are all right. But when you put them up against serving God or living for God, you know there's a lot of people who will put anything before serving God. I, I like to watch uh, the sports as much as any of you. But when it comes time to come to church, you're not going to see me sitting in front of the television watching the sports on TV and saying, I don't have time to go to church. But there's a lot of people do that. Did you know that? It's just a matter of fact. We'll see what happens when the Super Bowl weekend comes up. You're going to be here or there? I know where I'm going to be, the Lord willing, unless it comes a snow, so none of us can none of us can get here, but at least our intentions will be to go to come to the house of God. So it says lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God and Really, it's indicating here more of sensual pleasures than it is just uh, pleasures that are justifiable to to uh, to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with pleasures in their right place, but there is something wrong when you love them more than you do God. And then we find it says having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. A form of godliness have a religious front. Do religious things without your heart being in it, without any love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, I know we all feel that we've fallen short in our ability to really return to God thanksgiving and love. I don't know about you, but I do many times. I say, Lord, can I be more loving and more grateful and more thankful to you for all you've done for me? And we should be. But it says here, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Denying the power to change our lives. Denying the power of God in our lives. And it says, from such turn away. We need to turn away from people that just say, well, you know, they go to church once in a while and they put on a religious front. But that's not good enough, according to God's word. It says, denying the power thereof. I believe that God's uh, word has power to change us. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He can make us different people and make us what we ought to be by the grace of God. And he does change our lives. Have you ever thought of what you might be apart from God's salvation and grace that's given to you? be a sad picture, wouldn't it? be a sad picture. It says, now it goes on to say, 
For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts. Shows the kind of people they are. Then it goes on to say in verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know why? They're learning from false teachers. They're learning, they're not learning the truth. If you don't learn the truth, you can learn a lot of things and never be able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're being taught falsely, you may end up being, be learning of false things and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you have to be taught the truth before you can learn the truth. And that's why we need to study. Uh, in, look back in the second chapter, verse 15. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you and I need to check out the preacher. We need to check out the church. We need to check out what we're being taught. And if we've got an inkling along the way that you're hearing false teaching, well, then turn away from it. Turn away from it. And do not have anything to do with it. But these men were susceptible to listening to false teachers. And they say they were ever learning, but they were learning the wrong thing and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Then it says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so... Do these also resist the truth? Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. They withstood Moses back in the Old Testament. If you go back to the book of, let's see, where is it? Exodus chapter, look at Exodus chapter 7. And we'll find that they could not, they could not go any further than, than one thing. Chapter 7 and chapter 8. You find the miracles that Moses was doing or having God to bring in the way of judgments upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But uh, let's pick up with uh, chapter 8, I believe it is. And let's just show one instance. It tells us in in the context of where we're reading of Janus and Jambres, withstanding Moses, these magicians... They're not spoken of by name, but it tells that their that their their uh, their time would be hold your place in Second Timothy three verse nine. Now, and we'll then we'll look in the passage I gave you in Exodus. It says in Second Timothy three verse nine, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. These two in the days of Moses, they're they came, it came to an end. They were exposed for their lack of actually being able to do anything. So let's read now in Exodus chapter 8, and it says in verse 16, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, look, that it may become life throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, now look, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice. In other words, out of the dust came life as well, because it, there was lice. In man and in beast and all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now look at verse 18. And the magicians did so were their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could what? Not. Notice that. But they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. So 
their efforts, even in their magical efforts in the days of Moses, came to an end and they were exposed. Now, back in 2 Timothy 3, let's read it again, verse 8 and 9. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made, shall be manifest unto all, or all men, as theirs also was. Their folly was finally made manifest. You see, the devil can only do so much. Then God says, that's enough. Remember that magicians did so at various times with their enchantments, the same thing that Moses did in Aaron. But then in, in this particular instance that we read of, they were exposed for what they were. So they tried to bring it out uh, the lice out of the dust of the earth. Why they would want to do that is beyond me. There was enough lice already, wasn't it? But anyway, they were just trying to show that they had the same powers. And when the magicians tried to do so, the Bible says, but they could not. In other words, they didn't have any more power. And their folly was exposed. Now, let's read this, Second Timothy 3, verse 9. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs, that's Janus and Jambres, also was. They're not named in the Old Testament, but in referring here, uh, evidently, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul calls them by these two names, that they withstood Moses. Now then, in verse 10, but he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine. He's reversing now and reversing back to the truth and back what he taught. And he's reminding Timothy that there were false teachers in that day and there will be false teachers uh, that will increase in perilous time will come in the last days. But he says, in contrast to that, he says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my teaching. And he says, you've known my manner of life, purpose. Timothy knew what Paul taught. He knew how Paul lived, manner of life. He knew Paul's purpose. He knew Paul's faith. Look at that. And long-suffering and charity or love and patience and persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch. You go back and read, I believe it's the 13th chapter of Acts, I may be mistaken, but in the book of Acts, 13, 14 especially, Acts chapter 13, I believe you'll find the afflictions which came to me at Iconium, at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. And then he says, what persecutions I endured, but he says, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Paul believed that God had power to, to uh, do things. For him, but these, uh, the Bible says, having a form of God in this verse five, but denying the power thereof. That's the false teachers. But Paul puts his teaching in contrast to those. And in verse ten, he says, "Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra." And he says, "What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me." And then he says in verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I think we referred to that this morning. And then in verse 13, look what he says. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's going to be more false teaching. There's going to be evil men. There's going to be seducers that will deceive and they'll, they will be deceived. 
And as the days grow uh, more close to the very, very last days, I think we see that increasing. Look at it in our nation today. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And if that doesn't fit in with our condition in society today, I don't know what does. But he says in verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, Timothy, regardless of all that comes, when perilous times come, when troublous times come, when men are false teachers, when men are doing these things, uh, he says, I want you to continue. Paul was preparing Timothy to continue in the good things, to continue to stand, to continue to be faithful, and to continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And he goes on to say how Timothy learned them. How did Timothy learn them? Verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. He had learned the Holy Scriptures, not only from Paul later on, but from his mother and grandmother. If you turn back to Second Timothy chapter 1, about the first part of this same book. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Notice it says, when I call to remembrance, Paul is talking about Timothy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. Now, what is he talking about? Faith? How does faith come? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. This faith that was in his grandmother and his mother. And I'm persuaded that in thee also. And so, just go ahead and turn back to the third chapter again. In verse 15 it says, And, thou, and that from a child... The word means an infant or a babe. From infancy, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. So evidently his mother and grandmother had taught him the Holy Scriptures. That's why he had faith that dwelt in him, the first part of the book. It dwelt first in his grandmother and in his mother. And Paul says, I'm persuaded that it's in thee also. And here in the third chapter, verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. When is it too early to start teaching Children, the the word of God. That's why in the very earliest stages of of children in Sunday school, we ought to start teaching them the Bible. And you'd be surprised how early they can learn the Bible. Both of my children were converted at a very young age. Many we've seen other children, five or six years old, accepting Jesus as their Savior, realizing they were a sinner. The Bible has taught them that they needed Christ as their Savior. They've been taught John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave the most familiar verse of Scripture, I guess, in the Bible, most well known. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They didn't learn anything else. They learned that in Sunday school, usually. And at what age we don't know what age. Every child is different. You know, there's some people who have set the age of eight, some the age of twelve is the age of accountability. Whatever age of accountability that child comes to is not determined by so many years. It's determined by what that child hears and knows and learns and understands. And we're thankful for children that have been taught the Holy Scriptures. We're thankful, first of all, for mothers and grandmothers that teach them the Holy Scriptures. 
And that from a child, you have Second Timothy 3 verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Lead children to faith in Christ. And then it says in verse 16 and 17, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, doesn't mean sinlessly perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. It's profitable for doctrine. That means to show us what is right, for reproof, what is not right, and for correction, how to get right. And last of all, for instruction in righteousness. And that's how to stay right. You have these four things. You have what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's pretty good, isn't it? So it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Now notice the last verse. That the man of God may be perfect. That doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. It means to be equipped fully. It means to be perfected and then thoroughly furnished unto all good works to be fully equipped to do the work that God would have you do. But notice it says in verse 16 again, and we'll close, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration means breath or God breathed. It means God breathed. It says God breathed his word out unto us and holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Is what Peter says. So we know that it's divinely inspired. That God's word is divinely inspired. Well, we'll pick up with the fourth chapter in our next lesson, the Lord willing. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention. We'll stand together and be dismissed in prayer.